All right. Good morning, everybody. So I'm weaning myself off of as much caffeine as I've been drinking, and it's going pretty good so far. <laughs> <laughs> I picked the wrong week for that, I think. Is there a right week to get off of caffeine? There probably isn't. This morning we'll be in Psalms 38, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. You, didn't you do 35, 36, 37? Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, Psalm 37. I studied 37. See, that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. Now, this is water, Joe, so it has caffeine in it. That's how. A couple announcements before we get started. Teen night tonight, 5 o'clock. Um, and there's some flyers back there for that if you want to take that and remind yourself probably a little late for that, but you could still put it on your fridge so you don't forget 5 o'clock today. Um, men's breakfast is this coming Saturday, the 18th, uh, right? This coming Saturday? The 18th, yeah. At 7 a.m., uh, Josh Blevins from uh, Grace Calvary Chapel is going to be sharing with us. Uh, please sign up so we know how much food to prepare if you haven't signed up already. Camp sign-ups are out there for camp. Um, that's coming up pretty quick, and we want to have a a good head count by July 3rd. So please, if you want to volunteer for the camp, please put your name down for that and what the hours that you're available and days you're available so we know where to kind of stick you. And then also there's a camp sign-up sheet for the kids, um, and that needs to be returned by July 3rd so that we have everything signed, sealed, and ready to go for camp this year. We're excited for it. Also, uh, we're having a joint baptism up here at Mazingo. Uh, with Calvary Chapel Grace. They're going to come up here and bring, a, bring their food truck and serve us street tacos. And we're going to bring the drinks and the, we got the pavilion and, and the worship covered. So uh, that'll be after the service. So it'll start at one o'clock on July 31st out at Mazingo. And we'll do a baptism out there with their people and our people. So if there's anybody here that's accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior and you've never been baptized and you'd like to, uh, that would be an excellent time to do it. But we'll keep you informed as that gets closer and closer. This is the camp sign-up sheet. Rod gave me one to show you, but there it is. And, um, there should be plenty out there for you. Uh, this year we're doing Moera still. I think we're having two days for that. Is that right, Rod? Two days, one for younger kids, one for older kids. Yeah. Okay, but well, well, two groups either way. Um, so we get everybody through, and we may need volunteers. Is that right, to maybe go through the Moera training? to help them out because in the summertime they lose their college help, but that's when everybody goes to Moira. So um, it's kind of a funny system they have set up there. So if you're interested in getting up really high and you're not afraid of falling or whatever, uh, Rod, you'll, you're on board with that, I'm sure. And uh, uh, we could use your help maybe in that area just alone, just for those two sessions. You could show up and just put on the helmet and the gear and, and help people get across all the obstacles and the kids just have a ball. And uh, so we could use... Well, for some younger people is what I'm thinking for that. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to spend time in it this morning. Thank you for this psalm. It's, it's, uh, it's one we quote often and, and we remember, and there's several verses in here that we hold on to in our daily walk with you. And it's nice to see the home location of those verses that have uh, just been so embedded in our hearts and how it all ties together with David's um, just rejoicing over his heritage in Jesus' name. Amen. It is what it's called. That's the title of Psalm 37, the heritage of the righteous and the calamity of the wicked. David is just reminding everyone of don't forget eternity and don't forget that people pay 
Uh, there is justice, and what you're doing isn't wrong. And that's the encouragement. You're, what you're doing isn't a waste of time. What you're doing as far as walking with the Lord and living right, um, trying to be pleasing to your God, although may not be appreciated here on earth, God is watching. God sees, and the reward comes later for that. But it is it is the way. It's, it's, the, it's the way to life. And so David tries to encourage us in that this morning. And so hopefully we will be. He begins in verse 1, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. We, I love those four verses. They're just wonderful. It's packed full of just um, practical Christian living right there. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, here's what you're supposed to do. One, one thing you don't do before we get into the things you do do is you don't fret. I'm a fretter. I can wake myself up in the middle of the night for no reason, and I can just fret about the dumbest things. It just happens. And I have to purposefully decide to stop fretting over those things because I will go over the scenario backwards and forwards. I will, I will elaborate on it. I will, I will exaggerate it. You know, I will take it to its lengths and I will go into areas that it isn't even going to take me. These circumstances aren't going there, but I don't know, they could. And I have these fantasy things going on and the strangest things that if I let my mind wander and I let my mind fret, it's horrible. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. I, I can't worry about the evildoers. This is what we're not supposed to fret about. It's hard not to fret about evildoers. You know, they're, they're an enemy. They're a threat. They're someone that we want to protect ourselves from. They're someone that we are continually worried about, you know, in the sense that they, they, they intend to do us harm and, and, and they're, they're just evil. They just, that's their thoughts. And it's hard not to fret about them. But, but David encourages, don't fret about them. And what he's getting at is, don't worry about stopping them entirely or worrying about them getting away with it, is what he's getting at. I think there's some things we have to do. Um, I think we have to vote properly. I think we have to stand up for righteousness in this world. I think we need to be salt and light. That's not fretting. That's doing what we're supposed to do. It's what we're called to do. What I'm not supposed to fret about is about how things turn out for them. Because sometimes it goes well for the evildoers, and it bothers us. It's like, why does that go well for them? It's not supposed to go well. Evil is supposed to be punished. Good is supposed to be rewarded, and that's how it is. David encourages us. He says, don't be envious of the workers of iniquity, which he's honing in a little bit. Don't just fret, but don't just start to go through your mind. Maybe it'd be better if I did this instead. Maybe this uh, halo on my head that I'm wearing around wherever I go, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. I don't know where that term came from, but I'm going to use it. Maybe that isn't paying off. Maybe there's a little wiggle room, in other words. Maybe I can get ahead if I do this. It seems like everybody's getting ahead. Sometimes I'll run across um, motivational speakers and things like that. Everybody wants to come and be a motivational speaker and, and, uh, and motivate and all, and that's fine. Some of them are absolutely miserable motivational speakers. They're, they're effective in the sense that from a world's perspective, they can get the crowd fired up and get people actually to succeed in certain areas of business or otherwise, or churches even, if they, if they uh, follow in, you know, those examples of worldly thoughts, you know, run it like a corporation, uh, you need to have this, that, and the other thing, it needs to be, and there's nothing wrong with order, but they're, you know, they, they have programs for everything, you know, 
And you can see those things succeed sometimes, but they're, they're horrible. It's horrible worldly counsel. It's contrary to Scripture. Um, tells us to do things that really are not just iffy, but probably, as far as God's concerned, immoral, you know. Um, I'm not supposed to worry about those things. We're not supposed to be envious of the workers of iniquity. Don't, don't wish you had what they had. And as David is older here, which we're, he's going to say that as much, um, verse 25, he says, I was young and now I'm old. He's giving us his perspective now that he's older. And he's looking back on his life and all the things he fussed about. And he fussed about a lot of good things, but he must have fussed about a lot of bad things too. He must have fretted about a lot of things that were unnecessary. We only hear the good stories about young David. Um, but there were some bad things. He says, you know, there's a lot of time I wasted fretting about the evildoers. And he's trying to give us that perspective now. And I appreciate that. He says this because he knows something. David has been around long enough and he's watched these people come to their plans come to fruition for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Now that may have been in David's lifetime. He may have witnessed these people rise to the top and fall terribly or he could be speaking eternally. It isn't going to be long before the judge shows up and before the goats and the sheep are separated and we're going to see who's who's who. And you're going to be thankful that you lived the way you lived and you walked the way you walked. Even though it might have led to poverty here on earth, it led to riches in heaven. That's the heritage he's talking about, our eternal life. And so he's going to toggle between those two time periods. You'll see some of that happen here, but you'll also see the wicked get away with a lot of stuff here too. But you will see them fall, but sometimes you'll see them succeed. But eternally speaking, definitely, definitely, that's when you see it all fall into place. And David wants to have, a, have us have that eternal mindset. He says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart that God wants to give you are spiritual desires. He's not saying that if you do these things, you're going to get what you've always wanted in this world. If you just follow my plan, my, my two-step, four-step plan here of uh, Psalm 37, you'll get all the desires of your heart. Well, I've got some pretty carnal desires of my heart sometimes. David's not saying that, but he is saying God will give you the desires of your heart. He'll replace those fleshy, worldly desires that cause us to uh, envy those who work iniquity that he spoke of earlier. He'll take those away from us and he'll fill them and replace them with his godly attributes, the things that we should be hoping for, you know? Um, there's a lot of things that we can be excited about. But Bo plays baseball. We'd like to see him win some games. He's won one, you know, kind of thing. Be great to see him win a couple more games, you know, kind of thing. And yet what's far more important is that there's character built into Bo, that we place eternity on his heart, that we share with him uh, and, and expose him to and let him see in our lives the work of God so that he knows he has that because it's far more valuable than winning. Um, they had planned. There's just certain things that we do as a, as a family and th- certain things we don't do. Sometimes we um, will make allowances for certain things that interrupt our worship of God or our Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever events we have. And for the most part, we don't. Um, we make those a priority in our lives and we don't stray from those. Anything that comes against that, we feel as somewhat of an attack. It's just trying to lure us away into something that's really unimportant kind of thing. And so we set our boundaries and try to stick to them. Um, if, if at all possible. Um, 
Anyway, there's this big batting practice that was supposed to happen. We've been waiting for batting practice for this team forever. Big batting practice. Bring in a, bring in a guy to do batting practice, and we're going to do it Sunday morning from 8 to 10.30. And I know some of you aren't going to be able to make it here. Why not? <laughs> they, they already know who that is. Well, it got canceled because of rain. But we weren't going to go anyway. I mean, no. I mean, I can do batting practice. If you saw Bo in his eye, <laughs> that wasn't me. <laughs> that wasn't me, but we were playing wiffle ball last night with the family, and he was pitching. That's a terrible place to be, even with a wiffle ball, and he got clocked hard. So um, he's got this big black guy now. Um, so we had batting practice, you know, and it, well, it didn't go well, but it, it could have been worse. could have been real baseball. Um, it was just a wiffle ball. The idea here is, though, God wants to give us the desires of our heart. And hopefully understand, I don't need to beat that horse anymore. It's dead. We got it, right? He wants to give us the desires of our heart. He wants a, a blank heart that he can give desires to, things that he wants to place in your heart, that he wants you to long after, that he knows is best for you, that he wants you to grow and strengthen and become closer to him. Those are the desires he wants to give you. He wants to take away those other things. And David says, let him, trust him. Trust the Lord and do good. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light uh, and your justice as the noonday. That reminded me of a verse that we, uh, well, it's, it's actually kind of our church verse. <laughs> That's one that God gave us a long time ago. It's Isaiah 58. I'm going to start in verse 8. But then we're going to go back to verse 6 and read all the way through. But verse 8 says this. It's very similar to this. It says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall uh, spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. It's very similar to what we just read in Psalms. But what has to happen for that to take place? What is Isaiah talking about that has to happen for those things in verse 8 to take place? So if you back up to verse 6, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring uh, to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked and you cover him and not hide yourself from, his, from your own flesh, then your light shall break forth when you do those things. Verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke, from the midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restore of the streets to dwell in. It's a fabulous verse, fabulous section of scripture. So, so clear. If you, can't, if you don't read that and don't understand what you're supposed to do and the fruit that God has promised to those who do those things, I mean, I don't know how else to, you couldn't make it more clear than that, the way it's just written. It's beautiful. And David has experienced that. I put God first in my life. I've made him a priority. I recognize things that try to pull me away from Scripture, pull me away from prayer, pull me away from fellowship. 
Those pullings away into the world, that's, it's a common thing. And when you begin to spot it in your life, it's hard not to recognize it all the time. You'd be surprised. Once you open your eyes to the world trying to pull you away from your relationship with God, it's not so obvious. It's subtle ways that the world tries to pull away. But as you start noticing those subtleties, you're like, oh, my goodness. It's like putting on a pair of glasses. My, I bought my dad. My dad used to live on a golf course, you know, on the edge of a golf course, you know, one of those retirement homes, you know. Get beamed. You get beamed with balls all the time. It's a horrible place to live. I mean, it just scares you to death when those balls hit. It's tempered glass, they say. Well, yeah, but when it hits, I mean, it sounds like you just got shot or something. It's just this boom. Oh, everybody jumps. Well, what we did was we got him those glasses you can put on so you can spot all the golf balls. Because my dad, once it hits the house, he goes out and says, you cannot come up here. He makes sure they don't come up here because that's not private property. It's his ball now. You know, that's how we fought back. It was great. <laughs> my ball now. Stay off. And uh, we gave him some glasses that you put on. You can spot the balls just like that. They just glow white wherever they are. You don't have to hunt. You just put them on. You're like, oh, there's, a, there's like 50 out here. You know, you can go pick them up. When you put on these spiritual glasses that God gives you, when you let the Holy Spirit show you these things in this world, it's like you put these glasses on. You're like, oh my goodness, it's all around me. I can see it. And then you can fight. And then you can do battle. And you set your heart towards the Lord. And you set your you set your, your defenses and your borders, you know, your boundaries, um, and it works. And David just wants to encourage us in that. Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret, there it is again, because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. It's that last part that really struck me as I was studying. I get it. I'm not supposed to fret. What I don't realize, and I don't think many of us adults realize, is how our fretting affects our kids and the people around us. We think it's just us. We think it's just my anxiety. It's my worry. It's, it's my problems. It's the cross I'm supposed to bear. It's just, a, the, the, it's just being a parent, you know, kind of thing. But if you wear that on your sleeve, if you wear your heart on your sleeve, if you let that anxiety come out and that worry and it takes you three or four times to hear your kids ask that question because your mind is elsewhere. You're fretting, you're fretting. What, what, what did you say? They feel all that tension. Kids pick up on that. They can pick up on tension in the marriage. They can pick up on tension from your work, dad, mom. They can pick up on that stuff and they understand it and they feel it just like you do. They're, they're a, it's collateral damage is what it is. To me, not obeying God's word. You know, one of the best things you can do is if you're coming home from work is to sit in your car for maybe five or 10 minutes before you walk in the house. It may be weird at first or stop down the block so that no, your parents or your kids aren't looking out the window saying, why aren't they coming in? You know, stop, collect yourself, switch gears. You're moving into your home now. You've got a family. This is your sanctuary. This is why you do what you just did all day long for this moment, what you're stepping back into here. Be prepared for that and prepare your heart. And I'm going to say it to give, to give, to walk into that home and be able to give your attention, your time. You've left your fret in the car. You've let your, left your fret at work. You've left your fret. And to come in and let the, let the Lord use you to minister to these people who have been waiting all day for you to get home. Who live for that moment when you walk in the door and they're like, yeah, let's play. Oh, you're kidding me. You know, yeah, I'm ready to play. Let's play some wiffle ball. You know, you're pitching. No. Um, but to be ready to be a blessing. And it takes prayer. 
And it takes a filling of the Holy Spirit because you are at the end. You've given everything. You've given all your words. You've given all your strength. There ain't enough coffee in the world to get you back up to where you were at 9 o'clock this morning, you know. But the Holy Spirit can fill you and give them what they need, especially if you leave that fret and worry behind. What a blessing you'll be. It only causes harm, not just to yourself and to your health, which it does, but also to those around you. Verse uh, 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. That's that heritage he was talking about. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. We know that verse 11. We know 11a. That's, what, that's how they divide those things up. 11a and 11b. You know, when you've got to split a verse. We know that. The meek shall inherit the earth. We'll finish it, you know. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. That isn't something that generally a young family strives for. It isn't. They want peace in the home, but not at the expense of finances being taken care of, not at the expense of, 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 of having entertainment or, 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 or having the life, you know, kind of thing, whatever that means to them, worldly-wise. David's saying, no, 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 peace is everything. To have that peace in your marriage and, and just eat McDonald's then, you know? Don't stress your finances out by going to the expensive place to eat so that you can have that memory and then fret about how you're going to have to pay off that debt, you know? Just pack a sandwich and go to, go, to, go to Mazingo and have that peace, you know, in your heart. It's so important. David places peace far above anything else and that meekness that comes first, Meekness is power in, in control. You, you, you can, you, 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 you could, I can make it work kind of thing, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restrain myself. I'm going to have a little discipline. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to opt for peace in my life as opposed to uh, the, the sensational, you know. And it's a blessing. And David, David says this is wonderful. Now, in that section of Scripture we just read, there's our time frame. He says, don't worry, the evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord will inherit the earth. That gives us our time. David is now moving to eternity here. He says, no, no, no. You may not see it in this lifetime. You may be uh, like Lazarus, you know, who, who, who ends up dying at the, at the rich man's gate. Um, it didn't go well. I mean, it didn't go. He didn't see everything come full circle in his lifetime, but he was in Abraham's bosom. When he dies, he lands in the right spot. He, he has everything that he didn't get in this world. And the rich man received everything he didn't get in this world were trials and tribulations and struggles. And well, he was lost. You know, David's saying it's far better to have that peace. It's far better. Uh, so important, that eternal time frame, to keep that in mind um, as we go through this. It, it may be a long time. Some of us, you know, I, I don't want to be so, I, don't, I guess I don't have the right words for it, except I'm, I'm not so foolish as to not understand it. It's okay to want to win sometime. Can I, can I get a win this week? It seems like it's been years since I've got a win, you know, in my column. It seems like I'm just the poster child for the suffering Christian here. A loss, a loss, a loss, a loss. So I understand that desire. 
And I believe God, in my experience and what I've observed in other people, does give us those wins when we need them. When we're at our wits end, when we're at the end, he gives us that encouragement at times. Um, And so it's okay to pray for that. I don't want to think, oh, you're suffering? Continue to suffer. Enjoy it. You know, oh, there is hope. Your Father in heaven knows what you can bear, what you can't bear. He never gives us more than what we can bear. And so it's okay to pray for that moment. You know, can I get a win? And the peace that goes along with that, because there is peace there. When you don't have to struggle all the time, when it isn't one blow after another. Um, Some people suffer more, it seems like. The appearance is that they get hit harder and faster and more often than other people. And I don't know why that is necessarily. I, I would never look at them and say, well, you must not be living right. I don't know that at all. And I I would say that's probably not the truth at all because we see Job and we see examples of Scripture and people in the Bible that just get hammered sometimes. I don't know if they just got nominated because they're such a wonderful person, you know, and God saw such uh, uh, promise in them. Oh, they can really handle it. Watch this. I don't know. Um, But I do know this. It always comes to pass. There's always an end to it. And there's a light and there's, and there's life and there's, there's a, a moment of refreshing that comes from the Lord. I would encourage you to pray for that and ask for that and wait for that and to continue to live before the Lord, you know. One person I thought of when I was studying was Anna, that, the girl that, uh, the, the woman, the old woman that saw Jesus, you know. She was a widow from her youth and just stayed a widow. Like her, like married for a short amount of time, her husband dies and she just stayed that way and just served at the temple. And I'm sure that was a blessing in and of itself. But I say, but maybe she had no but about it. But for me, it'd be like, I wonder if I should get remarried. I wonder if I should have kids. I wonder if I should. But her consolation was to be one of the two people at the temple to see baby savior Jesus, God come in the flesh. That's a pretty good consolation. For that many years of service to God, not, not like a reward, not like a payment, don't get me wrong, but she placed herself in the place where she knew she was supposed to be at the temple serving God, and that's where the blessings come from. Regardless of whatever happens, I'm content here, I have peace here, but then to see that baby Jesus, and to witness that moment, you know, what an honor. God honors that. So maybe you are getting beat down pretty hard. Maybe it has been an interesting life for you so far. There's honor there as you carry yourself well through that as as a follower of Jesus. There's honor there. Um, I believe. I see that. Verse 12. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him. For he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, to slay those who are of upright conduct. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Matthew 26, 52, I'll start in 51, says this. It's actually half of 50, but that's right. Right around there. Matthew 26. When they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ears, But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. That's what that verse means, what we're reading here in Psalms. That's what that 
is the understanding there. Of course, we're supposed to defend our families and all, but Jesus says, not this. This isn't that moment. I'm supposed to go to the cross. I'm supposed to fulfill this plan. And the person that's evil and coming against God's plan right now, which Peter, you happen to fall into that category by pulling out the sword, trying to stop what needs to take place here. That's why he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, earlier on, you know, the other day, even that evening, get behind me, Satan. You're thwarting the plan of God. Here, David says that they can try to thwart the plan. They can come up against you. They can plot against all the, 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 the followers of the Lord in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But their day is coming, and God laughs at it and says, you have no idea what's coming your way. You think you're getting away with it. You think you're interrupting my sovereignty and my ability to bring about what I need to bring about in this world, but you're not. And he sees their day coming because he sees all time. And he laughs. It's a ridiculous thought to think you can come against God and his plan. And David wants us to know that because I can't see all time. I am only worried about the evil, wicked person in front of me at the moment. And David's trying to encourage us and say, don't worry about it. The day is coming. I've got this. Verse 16. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish. Into smoke they shall vanish away. Jenny and I were having one of our conversations that we have, and she just noticed how Jesus was just constantly warning, constantly warning people. That's all he talked about for most of his three and a half years was warning after warning after warning. And I wonder if that got old after a while, you know? Do you have any other sermons in your, in your, in your book, Jesus, you know, that you can give us other than warning about this and warning about that? But that's why he came. He, he can see it all happening and he sees how... I know you think this is a long period of time, but it is so short. And David, at the end of his life, is saying, he's right. It is so short. And he sees that day coming, the day when all of this changes, when all the wicked are vanished and they remove themselves, and they, they, or they don't remove, God removes them, puts them in hell, and there you are in eternity. You, I know it seems important and a big deal because that's what's in front of you today, but it isn't given the greater picture. David understands that. And most of the old people in this room understand that too. That the pettiness and the fretting, it's like, oh, I wish I'd spent a lot less time fretting and being petty about small things and realized how important eternity was and that I'd set my whole being and life on that track and focused on that more than all these other things. He knows that. He says that. A little, a little with the righteous man. You have a little, it's way better. It's way better to have peace. We have proverbs that say that all the time. Better, uh, you know, have a dry crust of bread, you know. Um, it's, it's better to have that in your poverty with, with joy and peace in your life, you know, as opposed to have all the delicacies that this world has to offer, but have no certainty and have no peace. He calls us to that. He says, it's a good thing. You've got the better. You've got the better. Verse 21, the wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, 
but those cursed by him shall be cut off. That, that uh, spirit of generosity is, is, a, is a real blessing to have. Um, it's, it's one of the hallmarks of a Christian. It's one of the, it's one of the telltale signs you're, a, you're a, a true believer, you know, a follower of Jesus, because you recognize it. You recognize the goodness of God in your life and the, and the blessings that he's bestowed upon you. And to be generous is obvious. It's not a struggle. It's not something you have to think about. Uh, you're, you know, stinginess just doesn't even cross your mind. It's just natural um, for the believer who understands. Um, Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. So the proverb is telling, you know, the, the, he's telling us, hey, try it. You know, it all comes back. Psalm 51, 12, though, says this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He understands that. There's a generous spirit. God is a, a generous God. He's a beautiful God. And that should follow up then with Isaiah 32, 8. But a generous man devises generous things. And by generosity, he shall stand. Someone who understands Psalm 51, that we live and, and breathe uh, and serve a, uh, a generous God um, will, will devise generous things. I kind of like that. It sounds, sounds sneaky. You know, I want to figure out how to bless those people somewhere or another. I know they won't take it if I handed it right to them, but somehow or another, I'm going to get it into their account, you know, kind of thing. That's a beautiful thing. And it's not just money. Generous with your time, generous with your love, generous with your, with your heart, you know, your attention. You know, that's a, that's a real blessing to, to be constantly giving. Um, and people recognize that for the most part, for the most part. Um, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Uh, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Um, God directs our steps. It's wonderful that he does that. The word ordered there can be established. He establishes them. Um, and it says that God delights in his way. I, I like that. When, when someone is listening to the Lord, God says, well, you're listening to me, and I tell you to take this step, and you take this step by faith, because I've said so, not because you understand it, and you didn't question me, and you didn't, you didn't grill me on why we're making this move. You just, just, just took the move. Oh, the Lord loves that. He loves it when we trust him so much with our way, and we let it be his way in our lives. He just, he just he, David says, it's just such a blessing. There's no better place to be than on God's path, you know. Verse 25, this is where he this gives us his age. I have been young and now I'm old, <laughs> yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, uh, nor his descendants begging for bread. He is ever merciful and lends, uh, and lends. his descendants are blessed. Um, um, David in his old age has wisdom. Um, sometimes gray hair brings wisdom, sometimes it doesn't. And here's what I mean. Um, it isn't automatic that an old person has wisdom or has, uh, a, has, anything, has anything to share with you, honestly. It, it all depends on how they serve. It all depends on how they um, remember their life. If they remember their life in bitterness, then that's what they're going to remember. And that's what they're going to share with you. It's a bitter world out there. It's, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world. And they'll talk like that in their old age because that's all they remember was how horrible their life was, you know. Well, they've got gray hair. I have to listen to them. No, you don't. But a believer who loves the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, they'll remember the blessings of God and, and what God has done for them and through them throughout their whole life. And they'll begin to share that. And that's wisdom. 
And that's what David's trying to share here. This is wisdom. This is something I've seen. I was young, but now I'm old. Oh, I've seen this. I've seen God take care of us. He's taking care of me. When I was running from Saul, when I was running from Absalom, when I was running from everybody, Philistines or whatever, or when I was fighting the Philistines and fighting Saul and, you know, whatever it was, God always took care of me. And he's remembering God's goodness. He's remembering God's generosity. He's remembering all those things. That's wisdom, you know, the encouragement that an older person can bring. Uh, when they remember things properly, I think as I get older, I remember more of my childhood. You know, as a kid, you remember, you remember some of the, you, see, you, you remember the bad things. They stand out, you know, because you, you, they're so, for me in my life, it was so unnatural to see anybody crying or see somebody hurt. Um, I had a, a blessed life, but I remember those things vividly. You know, I remember moments where my mom was crying in the laundry room and I was asking her what was wrong and she just wanted me to go away. And I'm like, I don't even know what this is about, you know. Or I remember my dad not being happy or something when he's, you know, I remember those moments, but they're few and far between. But that's what I remember as I get older. I remember everything. I remember way more good. And, and, and that's a blessing to look back and think, oh, no, no, I remember her also sitting down on the couch and teaching me how to read and being patient with me because I hated reading. Uh, she was a teacher. Can you imagine being a teacher and having your kid hate school and hate reading and all, you know, it's made it miserable for her. I remember all those things now as I get older. Um, and that's a blessing. And I think that's, that's obviously God's effect in my life. God has changed me in the point where I don't look at all the, the, all the wrong things that have made me who I am today. I think of all the blessings that God has brought into my life that has made me who I am today, you know. And how he's been with me the entire time by placing those parents in my life, by placing that teacher in my life, Mrs. Polson, third grade, and, and Sunday school teacher in fourth grade. And I can remember all these people that, oh, you know, and there's a joy there as I get older. Verse 27, depart from evil and do good uh, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell forever in it. David says, you may not feel like you own anything right now, but believe me, you own everything as you follow the Lord um, and to, to, to wait on the Lord to fulfill those promises. Verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom and the tongue, of, the tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Um, the wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. I like people that talk about justice, that seek it. You know, not vengeance, but they talk about justice. They recognize things that are wrong in this world, things that aren't supposed to be the way they are, not according to God's word anyway. Not, that, that's not right. I appreciate that. We have to be careful, I think, that we don't live our lives constantly doing that, and that's all we can see. That we can't see the blessings of God in our lives also, but I appreciate, appreciate that recognition that there needs to be justice um, because that's the heart of God in somebody. Um, we don't have that built in. Um, we have selfishness. In other words, I, I want to be vindicated. We have that all day long. But to recognize injustice in the world and to desire justice in the world is a godly attribute. God wants that. He desires that. It pleases the Lord, it says. Um, it's on his heart. It's something he wants. It's something he's going to bring about at his second coming. He will judge. That means he's going to bring justice with him. It's going to take place. Um, and that is the heart of God when you have those thoughts. Verse 34, wait on the Lord. 
(laughs) and keep his way. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passes away. And behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. That's a hard thing to wait on the Lord. It's harder than it sounds. You know, wait on the Lord. Yeah, I'm going to wait on the Lord. Okay, I'm done waiting. You know, I, I don't think I realize how long he wants me to wait sometimes. And, and in this context, I want you to wait till Jesus comes back again, and then you're going to see it all. That's a long time. Or it's a short time. He could come any moment. I understand that. But it could also be 20 years or 100 years. I mean, I don't know how much longer we have. But David doesn't put a time stamp on it. He just says, I want you to wait on the Lord. Well, that means I wait indefinitely until God comes and brings these things to pass. And he's encouraging us to live that way. Keep his way. Remember how it talks about the Old Testament? They had his word, but they needed to keep his word. There's a difference between owning a Bible and keeping the Bible. Reading the Bible and living the Bible, two different things. David is saying here, wait on the Lord and keep his way. Um, He shall exalt you to inherit the land. That's a promise that he's going to bring to pass. It's going to happen. Verse 37. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. Mark him. 37, 37. That's a great verse to memorize. That's one I circled. That's one I'm going to memorize and hide in my heart. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. That's a promise from God. Mark them. In other words, recognize the people around you that are living this way, but also be one of those people that are living this way. Because there's a promise attached to that. You're going to have peace. And that's all I want. That's all I want. I hate conflict. I avoid conflict. I, I just hate it. Some people thrive on it. They just love it. I just, oh, I just can't stand conflict. Now, I'll be confrontational if I have to be. Because God's called me to that. That is against my nature. It's against who I am. But he's conforming me into his image. I understand that. So I've got to be willing to do those things that aren't, maybe they don't come naturally to me. But I don't like that. I can't wait for peace. Just constant peace when you talk to people. No one's mad. No one's upset. No one's got a complaint. No one's got whatever it is. Just just peace. Just to realize, I just can't wait for that time. And so mark the blameless man, observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the transgressors, those shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. So he started with trust and he ends with trust. Gotta trust the Lord, and you gotta trust Him all the way to the end. You gotta wait all the way to the end. And if that's your only encouragement this morning, I hope you heard it. That you're not wasting your time. You haven't picked the wrong path. The world may uh, go leaps and bounds ahead of you in the worldly things, but they won't in the spiritual things. That's what you'll gain. Uh, that's what you'll have, and they won't have. We don't hear much about uh, the rich or the the worldly successes. Success people uh, getting online and saying, gosh, I wish I had more peace. I mean, I've got everything. You hear once in a while those testimonies, but not nearly in comparison to them trying to coax us into the world, trying to pull us into their rat race. When all they want to do is, I just want to get out of this rat race, they gladly trade places, you know. 
You should look up sometime, maybe not, but maybe good advice or bad advice. Look at some of the celebrities that have dropped out. They just dropped out. Where did that person go? Weren't they in those movies? They said, I am done. They just dropped out. So what are you now? Well, I work at a car wash and I got three kids. You chose that. I mean, you could have gotten more. Oh, yeah, no, I did not want to be a part of that world. Ah, some truth, you know, some truth beyond the makeup and the lights. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your promises to us. This is a a psalm full of your promises. And you want to remind us of those things. You want us to sing these songs about you and your promises all the time. Lord, help us to remember these things, especially that 3737. Help us to to mark that, uh, the man that's upright and who lived righteously because there's a promise of peace there, God. We want that. Help us to live uprightly, to walk uprightly. It's not a waste of time. It's exactly what we need. It's exactly what the people around us need. If anything, Lord, help us to do it for those around us. That they don't have to, well, they don't have to be in our, they don't have to be collateral damage to our fretting. Lord, we thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week. I didn't even see it back there. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't time that right at all. Sorry about that, you guys. My fault. It's a cat. See, I'm telling you. Hold on. On the night that Jesus was betrayed. <laughs> Thank you, Rod. Thank you for your patience and grace that you all have for me. On the night that he was betrayed... They were having the meal, and they, they were having the bread and the juice, and it represented the Passover lamb. And he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he lifted it up and said, Take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. The bread represents the broken body of Christ. The tomb that Joseph of Arimathea, uh, that was the tomb that Jesus was uh, given at his death. It's actually borrowed because he rose from the dead. But what a beautiful symbol for all of us, that Jesus laid down in our grave. He took the death that was intended for us, and he laid down in the grave, and he took the penalty. He placed himself in that grave of Joseph and then rose from the dead, which was a sign to Joseph that he would never die, that he would never have to be buried, that we would never have to have separation from God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and Joseph knew that because of that moment. That's every man's grave, every woman's grave. Jesus has stepped in there. He has a broken body so that our bodies wouldn't have to be. He also took the cup and he blessed it, passed it around and said, take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of my new covenant with you. The old covenant was you do the right thing and I'll do the right thing. You do the wrong thing and I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to go ahead and punish you and give you justice because that's what you deserve. That's the old covenant. The new covenant of his body was I'm going to do it for you. My shed blood will be for your shed blood. It's, It's to take your place. So when we eat this bread, of his, it reminds us of his broken body, and we drink this cup, which is to remind us of his shed blood. It reminds us that my body and my blood will never be broken or shed for my sins. I don't have that waiting for me. Um, he did it for me, and he laid in my grave, and he rose from the grave. And if he rose, I rise. That's a promise that he gives us. That's one of the things the proverb was telling us, if you trust him. That's what it means to be a believer. 
Jesus says, I died in your place. And to believe that is to be a believer. You trust him. That his death on the cross is sufficient for our sins. And so this morning we're reminded of that. There is no grave waiting for me. There is no broken body waiting for me. There is no shed blood waiting for me for my sins. That's all been taken care of by Jesus. So we thank you for that, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for this that you've given us. A constant reminder. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we're reminded that you have done it all. The cross took care of all of our sins, past, present, and future. They were all nailed there. You were laid in our grave, and you rose from the dead, um, which means death couldn't hold you and that you were the accepted sacrifice for our sins. And now when we die, we rise. We go to be with you immediately, and we thank you for that promise. And we hold on to that. We trust you. We believe you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat.